Moving through stages of life can be confusing and stressful, and it can be especially stressful if you don't have a plan in place for when transitions occur. In this episode, we talk with Eric Cooper, financial planner and certified exit planning advisor about why it's important to have a financial exit strategy when you make any move in life or business. Stay tuned. You're listening to Triangle's Making Money Personal Podcast, where we engage in real talk about financial matters that affect our community. Today's episode is sponsored by Triangle Credit Union, recently voted best credit union in New Hampshire. Welcome to another episode of the Making Money Personal Podcast. I'm Liz Costa here with Terry Connolly, and we're excited to be joined today by rock star financial planner with Triangle Financial Group, Eric Cooper. Welcome, Eric. That is some high praise. I better, <laughs> I better hold up that bar here today with that type of intro. Good to be here it. with you guys. We're happy to have you back. It's been a little bit of a, a time, right? It has. It's been... it's been a little bit of a time. It's been a crazy summer, yeah. but I think we're all a little tanner. We've had a little <laughs> bit more fun. That's so for sure. I, I think we're feeling good today. <laughs> awesome. I, as, I'll feel good as long as we get some rain. I am I, like, I am, my flowers are dead. Like everything is dead at my house. <laughs> my grass is crusty. There's yep. nothing. There's no green. It's, it's all cr- sitting in the air, though. It's so humid. Oh, like, it's, it's not awful. coming yeah. along. It's sitting in the air. You feel like five pounds lighter as yeah. soon as you walk out of the air conditioning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> five pounds heavier. Sorry. Not lighter. Not lighter. Five, yeah. Feel five pounds lighter inside. And then you walk outside. <laughs> You're like buoyant yeah, in, your si- in your house. This gravity hits different. Oh, yeah. That's the summer for you. Yeah, definitely. So, Eric, this is, I think, our third episode with you. Yes. So it's nice to have you back. It's always a fun time with Eric it is. on the he's our, show. He's our frequent flyer. Right? There you go. We <laughs> bring is. the energy. Yes. We bring the energy. I love that, Eric. Love so that. today, uh, we want to talk about like planning and strategizing your future, right? And mm-hmm. you do, it's vital for businesses, it's vital for individuals. Um, but exit planning, which is something that you're very familiar with, um, is something that I haven't really heard talked about much at all in the financial or professional world. So what is exit planning? Exit planning is just good business strategy, right? So exit planning is somewhat of a misnomer because it kind of indicates that you need to be ready to exit your business or trying to actively get out of your business in order for it to apply. Uh, But when you think about it, exit planning is just planning with the end in mind, Mm. okay? So anything that you do, if you're buying an investment property or if you're deciding what job to take when you have multiple offers or you're you know, I don't know, you're planning an event for, you know, a local community organization. You start with the end goal, you start with what you want to accomplish, and then you work your way backwards from there. Everybody that is an entrepreneur that owns a business will exit their business at some point, either by will or by force. They'll Mm -hmm. die in the chair, they'll retire, Mm -hmm. they'll give it to their kids, they'll sell it, they'll liquidate it, whatever the case happens to be. And having an understanding of what those options are and really what creates a strong business that gives you control and makes the timing and type of your exit irrelevant is really important to understanding how to build a business that can last and that is profitable. The cool thing is the same things that drive strength in exit are the same things that drive cash flow, profitability, and all the things that you need to enjoy to grow your business along the way. So there's a really Hmm. beautiful synergy there where exit planning is really applicable to business owners at all stages. Hmm. Hmm. Can you elaborate on that a little bit, Eric, just in terms of like the, the planning process? It sounds to me like it, I think you... I don't, I'm not exactly sure. I have to go back and listen to the tape, but it's an, you said it was an integral part of the, of cash flow. Like you, you tied that into, it sounds like your growth plan, um, your exit and your exit plan would be similar or not in similar, but in sense, you'd have to spend as much time thinking about that or planning for it. The same elements that drive growth and mm-hmm. value are the same elements that drive a successful business exit or transition. Okay. So where you're placing the focus mm-hmm. or how those concepts are applied might be different depending on the stage that you're in. If you're starting a business or if you've got an already successful business but you're looking to grow and scale or if you're looking to pare down, exit and transition, how those are applied might be different in all those different scenarios. Mm-hmm. But the, the same elements that drive a successful exit or transition are the same things that drive business value, which are the same elements that drive profitability, which are the same elements that drive 
you know, an owner actually enjoying their life, right? Limited owner dependency, an owner not working 80 hours a week, having a, a team mm-hmm. that they believe in, having longevity with their employees, mm-hmm. minimizing, you know, legal and, and other protection risks, right? It's the same elements that drive okay. all this stuff, regardless okay. of what business or industry you're in. Okay, I got you. So it's like thinking beyond your existing venture. It's like the next, it's like planning for the next steps while you're starting out or in the middle of what you're currently working on, right? Right. It, and, and conceptually, right? So there's this thing, right? I, I, I don't remember the study or the book. Um, but goal setting is an interesting thing in humans because humans don't set goals organically. We set goals based on our frame of reference of comparison to other people. A lot of exit and transition planning or business planning, financial planning, retirement planning, anytime you're planning for a financial future, um, there are certain value systems that drive how people make financial decisions. And it's important to become aware of those, understand those and align your strategies and what you're trying to accomplish to them. Goals are just our best guess of how to take those end results and translate them into some sort of objective measure within some time bound period. But all they are Hmm. is a best guess. They're a strong opinion, loosely held, right? (laughs) Goals are always going to move depending on external factors that you can't control, Mm -hmm. right? So you might think that, you know, success in your business means reaching $2 million in revenue and having 10 employees. Well, why? There's probably a whole multiple layers if you peel back that onion on why that's how you define success. You might be able to reach that success that you're looking for with 1 million and 5 employees, or maybe it's 5 million and 15 employees, depending on what the economy does, how your industry changes, or things you learn along the way, how efficient you are in managing your company. So goals is just our our feeble attempt at taking really what you want your life to look like and what you want your Hmm. impact to be, and then translating that to some sort of objective measure so that we have steps that we can take today. Planning is just taking the future into the present so you can do something about it now. That's the whole game. It's iterative, it's rhythmic, life changes, goals change, strategies change. The principles of good planning and management of a business never change. So mm-hmm. as long as we can teach those to our clients and stick to those and and help them act within those parameters, we know that they're going to be much better off after spending time with us than they were before. Yeah. Hmm. So Eric, for the entrepreneurs that you're working with, obviously they they have a vision, right? They have a vision for their business. Do they have a vision for their exit? No, okay. almost never. Um, most of them, the business vision has become the personal vision. Mm-hmm. There is no personal vision outside of the business. And, mm-hmm. and when there is, it's usually some sort of arbitrary objective standard, right? So for example, I wanna retire by the time I'm 60. Okay, well, why? What does that actually mean to your life, right? Every entrepreneur will have a vision for their business in terms of maybe some objective goal setting or something that they'd like to accomplish by some point. Um, But the exit is never part of that because usually the business is part of the entrepreneur's vision and personal identity. And Mm -hmm. a vision without the business in it is almost something that they don't recognize. They don't relate to Mm -hmm. it. So it's really important that as you go through the process of exit and transition planning um, or business value maximization or, or just being a good business owner, that you establish an identity that's outside of hmm. your business. In a weird way, that's what will allow your business to be most successful mm-hmm. when the business is not a referendum on who you are as a person. That will give you the freedom that you need to make quality decisions with the business and not emotional decisions with the business. It'll be the freedom to allow yourself to unplug from the business. Um, I own multiple businesses and I remember a couple of years ago, I had this like realization point of like how my identity was way too wrapped up in the, in the businesses, you know, um, I had planned some time off and I rarely ever get time off. So it's like, oh, you know, what am I going to do with this time off or whatever? And It was like, I have young kids, I have a wife, so it's like, all right, we're just gonna spend some time, we're gonna veg, we're just gonna relax. I won't won't have to be anywhere, have to do anything. Six hours into that first day, (laughs) I went back to work. I literally went back to work. The guilt of knowing there was stuff that needed to be done, and I was just Hmm. sitting there, not doing anything. Hmm. Hmm. I could not handle that. And, and it was almost like, 
I was there with my wife and kids at home doing a bunch of nothing. They're young, so they're playing with toys and they're watching whatever they're watching. It's awesome being with them. Right. right? Don't get me wrong. But there was this this nagging feeling of almost like I, I hadn't earned the right to do that. Mm. I was w- wasting opportunity. Mm. I was letting people down. Like there was this existential identity crisis by the fact that I could be working and I wasn't working. And most business owners, you'll see that, right? They go on vacation and they'll rent some house out on some lake in, you know, Michigan, but they're just on their phone and their computer, they're working, they're working the whole time. Or, you know, they say, oh, I want my son-in-law to take over the business. Maybe he'll take it over when I retire. And they're going to retire in three years and three years turns into five and five turns into 10. Son-in-law's, okay, what the heck? They're finally like, all right, all right, all right. They hand the keys over and they can't stay out of the office, right? They want to be around. They want to be a consultant. They want to, right? It's because they're this process of divorcing the personal identity from the business and creating a vision beyond the enterprise hasn't really occurred. And that's because it's a really consuming endeavor. You put your heart and soul into this thing. It takes up all your time. Entrepreneurs take a massive amount of risk. It dominates our decision making in all these different areas of our life. So it becomes this foundational piece of who you are where... um, and, and what exit and transition planning does, in addition to all the benefits of profitability and you know maximizing value and et cetera, et cetera, it also forces that process ahead of time mm-hmm. so that when you do reach the point where it's time for a life transition, you have an identity to place elsewhere, you have somewhere else to direct your energy, and you're much more comfortable moving on to that next phase of life or going through that transition mm-hmm. um, because the work has been done ahead of time. It's been simulated, if you will before it becomes real. So Eric, when you sit down and you're you're talking with one of your clients, do you ever offer some suggestions on what their next phase should be? So for instance, what I'm thinking about is, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur, I need to be busy, right? Because when you are just explaining that scenario about you being at home, you have a little bit of ADD. I have it as well, right? So it's like, we can't waste time. We've got way too much to do. And there's too many good things to be doing, you know, other than just wasting time. Is that part of the process where, you know, if somebody can't get outside of their own, you know, this is what this particular business has consumed them for the last 25 years. Is that part of the process where you say, do you, would you want to volunteer or are you interested in becoming a VC and, you know, maybe, you know, using your skills to generate, you know, business over here? Like what's, what are, what value are you bringing to that conversation? A lot. So the answer is is yes and no. So we don't make suggestions per se and say, hey, you know what? I think you would be good at. But what we do is we lead a process of self-discovery, mm. right? So there, there's a lot of psychological evaluations and behavioral and personality assessments and, and just having conversations and understanding people so you can really identify. Usually if somebody's really passionate about their business, there's some sort of value that they add to the world that's fundamental mm. to why they're passionate about that business, right? So they might be, you know... They might own like a, a consulting, you know, organization, let's say whatever. And, you know, they're consulting biotech companies on whatever. Right? Right, right. And they and they might enjoy biotech and stuff. But, you know, what they really love about that job might be they feel like they're able to contribute in a teaching manner to a technology that's really fundamental to the future of humanity. Or it might be that they have the ability to run organizations and they enjoy building things and they enjoy building things that can provide for people. And that's really what makes them tick about it. Mm -hmm. There's usually something or a combination of things that are underlying the business itself. So what we do is lead a process of self-discovery and and, um, assessment to help them discover that you know the, the phrase, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink, right? Yeah. It's not helpful if I just tell somebody what I think is their thing because it's mine. It's not theirs. Right. It has to be theirs. And once they've discovered it, once they can articulate it, they're aware of it, they've connected whatever that is inside to speech so that they can tell it to me, well, now we can go to work on other ways that we can apply that, right? So it's very... Um, you know, coaching, therapy, advising, guidance, it's, it's client-led, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I can facilitate the process, but the client is going to come up with the answers. They're going to own it. And that naturally happens as part of, so some, some people need a little bit more than others, but that naturally happens as part of the process to exit and transition planning because the situation oftentimes is somebody's looking at an exit transition forces it. 
But I would say even if you're an earlier business owner and you're just growing your business, thinking about those things still forces it to a point. Sure. How you choose to grow is going to be directly correlated with where you want your strength of options to be later. Mm -hmm. How you start your business, right? Um, There's one entrepreneur that I was talking to and he hadn't even started his business yet. We were already talking about exit and transition. And the context that we were talking about it was in terms of the startup cost for his business. He had two options. Um, He had some commercial startup loans available so he could take on the debt and he could start it that way. He also had a couple of equity investment partners that he could have chosen to partner with and he could fund the startup that way. Well, his strategy, his preferred exit strategy, of course, he doesn't know. Young guy, right? Things can change. But his preferred exit strategy was financial freedom early. So he wanted the ability to be able to sell to a third party Mm -hmm. later. Well, guess what? When other people own part of the enterprise you're building, that means that that check gets split multiple Mm -hmm. ways. It means it's not just your vision, it's your vision, but you're also accountable to their vision. There's more than one cook in the kitchen, right? right? It wasn't really conducive to the strength of options he wanted to be building. So he chose to take on the debt. Somebody that's Mm. just starting the business, say for the income potential, Right, and they're okay with capitalizing their piece, but it's really more of a team approach. They don't want to be doing it all on their own. You know, they're not necessarily sure they want to sell to a third party. Maybe they want to give it to their kids, sell it to their employees later. They might have taken the equity partners. Mm-hmm. So having an understanding of what the exit options are going to be at a base level, it's always going to be right. You either sell inside, you sell outside, or, or you liquidate. That's mm-hmm. pretty much what your options are. And then there's subsets under the underneath those understanding what those options may be later and what drives those can make decisions for you all the way from your business being a concept all the way to the point of you actually executing the exit and transition and everything in between. Mm -hmm. So it really is foundational Mm -hmm. to business strategy or being an entrepreneur at all. Like this isn't something that's just meant for like the old guy that's been running his business for 30 years that decides it's time to quit. I mean, the application of it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes me wonder, you know, like when, when do business business owners need to start thinking about these? And it sounds like as soon as possible, right? Oh yeah. Like as soon as you start, Yeah, you're just, you're thinking, and it doesn't mean you're making decisions for 20 years down the line from now, but you need to have an understanding of how that's going to play out and how the things you do today are going to impact how that might play out. Mm -hmm. Um, when you apply the tenets of good business planning to your business, it makes the timing and method of your exit irrelevant. You can do any of them at any time once you've built the business up, and you can capitalize any method that you want at the highest potential value. That right there is what we call real financial freedom. There's a lot of business owners that make Mm -hmm. a lot of money Mm -hmm. that have businesses grossing $10 million a year that are in a cage. They are owned Mm -hmm. by their business. They don't own the business. They're tethered to the chair. Their identity is tethered to it. Their relationships suffer. Their health suffers, right? And you see that a lot. And it's not that they're bad people. They're really passionate about the value that they add. But a lot of times, you know, somebody that is great at HVAC doesn't necessarily mean they're a great business owner. And they're doing the things they need to do to be great at HVAC and serve the most amount of, you know, residential or commercial customers that they can. But they miss the other part. And they also miss that they can't be a great boss or they can't be a great HVAC company or they can't maximize the value they provide everybody else if they're running on empty. Right. These types of things take the holistic business strategy and management plan and allow somebody like me who knows the process and can quarterback the process to come alongside a business owner, understand their individual value system, what they want out of life, what makes them tick, and then orient the way that they structure the business to that. It's a very custom unique process because there's no such thing as a standard case or a fact pattern right when you're talking about Mm -hmm. people right people are different yeah yeah Yeah. so eric how open are these business owners to having this conversation with you because i just feel like that you know entrepreneurs are um, a special breed right and you know they just um if this is something that has consumed them and they're passionate about it like how open are they really to having this conversation and allowing you to um, coach them in this process? More open than you might think. Usually the way that they're most open is when you approach it from talking about maximizing the value of their business. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to do that. It doesn't matter at what stage of your business you're in. Um, If you lead with exit planning, 
then people that are excited about what they're doing and passionate about what they're doing and not trying to retire don't want to talk to you because they feel like you're trying to take their baby from them. Right. You're going to come in and you're going to try to convince me to sell my business or somehow move off of my business. Um, Value acceleration, accelerating the value of the enterprise is the same thing as exit planning. It just is applied in a different context. So usually we're leading with maximizing value um, because it does the same thing, not necessarily exit and transition, unless somebody's communicated that they're actively looking to find an off-ramp, mm-hmm. right? In which case, that's the discussion that we're happy to have. But one reaches the other, right? I mean, it's all the same stuff. It's just about how it's applied for that individual case and that person. From a yeah. marketing standpoint, we're definitely more talking about value acceleration than than exit planning, per se. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's interesting because both Liz and I, uh, we have dads who own their own business. And my dad is uh, very blue collar. And, you know, he's 70 years old, actually 70 plus, and he's still running his business. And I wish that I had had conversations about maximizing his value before. <laughs> because, and it, you know, honestly, all of the conversations had come down to, dad, you're going to, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to age out of this business. You have to, you know, you can't be 85 years old and still jumping up on your dump truck. You know what I mean? Right. Like maybe he can, but even now he's getting to the point where, you know, he's in his mid seventies and he's hurting, you know, his shoulders mm-hmm. are hurting, his knees are hurting. And um, so, yeah, I should have tried with a different approach. <laughs> <laughs> or introduced you to him a lot earlier. <laughs> That's how I feel about my dad, too. Same thing. I mean, he, he pretty much suspended his business, and it's almost shut down, but he had no plan in place. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, we, we've talked about this, but I could see it. Like, he struggled with that because it was such a part of his life, and it was he had so much of that emotion vested in it, and so it was really difficult for him to kind of move on to the next thing because what is that next thing? He just spent his life building this business, right. and it, he reached that point where it was like he just couldn't – he it wasn't feasible that much anymore, you know? So I should have had him talk to you too, Eric. I know. I well, know. hey, you know, this is a pretty new industry, right? This probably really – gain traction 2008 2009 really is a result of a generational mismatch baby boomers had so much greater numbers than gen x and gen z and because of that college and corporate jobs and coming off the war everything was so much more competitive so it spawned Mm. a more entrepreneurial generation than this country has ever seen and boomers now, I mean, we're, we're in the thick of it. We probably still got another 10, 15 years of them looking to transition off of the massive enterprises that they've built and this insane transfer of wealth. But the generations afterwards have been saddled with college debt or not been as entrepreneurially minded and more corporately minded. And there's all sorts of, you know, in the 90s, the two income family became a thing. So the luxury economy really became a thing. Savings savings rates went down. So you don't have private buyers that can afford all these businesses. You don't have kids that have the skills to run a business that are available for a family transition. And that's why you see a lot of the consolidation happening, mm-hmm. right? You see private equity firms that are buying at an insane rate. You see all these, you know, conglomerates, right? You know, these management companies that are consolidated, these holding companies that are just acquiring all these other operating companies underneath. So part of this is, okay, you know, there's a problem to solve here for the boomers. How do we how do we do that? Well, one thing we can make their business, we can maximize the value of their business. We can also maximize the transferability of the business. Because just because you have a business that makes good income or good revenue doesn't mean it's transferable. For example, yeah. I mentioned it before, a consulting firm. You can have a consulting firm that makes a bajillion dollars, right? But if there are six consultants on that team, say one CEO, one head consultant, you can't duplicate a relationship with a person or that person's expertise necessarily in another person. So I can't come in and buy that consulting business and buy those relationships and immediately have the same confidence in that revenue that the people did that built the relationships to earn that money. You see what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. not super transferable, right? Now, if you take that same business and they have 
developed and protected intellectual property around consulting specifically in that space that now that enterprise owns, that they can deploy that nobody else can deploy. Or let's say they have a training program to bring other consultants from other industries into their industry and get them up and running on a comp share, right? Okay, come under our umbrella. We'll teach you how to do it. You can get your own business started. 1099, you give us 20%. Now that's something I can go buy. Mm-hmm. That can transfer to me and I can still enjoy that revenue. I can take that and build that. But I can't buy your brain. I can't mm-hmm. buy your relationships. I can't buy your history. I can't buy the fact that you went to school with this guy when you were 15 years old and now he owns a $36 million business so he's your client. Like I can't buy that. Mm-hmm. So one thing that the boomers um, have not done a great job of entrepreneurially is making their businesses transferable. So that's a big part mm-hmm. of the work we're doing with them. And then on the back end for entrepreneurs now, it's like how do we avoid these problems later? Right, All the yeah. problems that the exiting owners are going through now. How do we put you in a good position to be an acquirer of some of these businesses that have ownership groups that are looking to transition and move off. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a very complex industry, but at the same time, it's super simple because the same things that made good business in 1792 are the same things that make good business now. Right. Hmm. Price right, you do right by people, you know, you're a long-term thinker, you make decisions for 10 years, not for 10 days from now. All the same things, just how they're applied conceptually. There are four things, okay, that will really drive the value and the transferability of the business. Other than the profits, right? You have to be profitable. If you're not profitable, none of the rest of the stuff that matters that much. Um, The first is going to be your structural capital, the structure of your organization. How turnkey is it? Can I replace you in the seat and it just continues to hum as if you never left? Mm -hmm. Um, Your social capital, that's your brand equity. That's your reputation. (laughs) Most companies don't have any. Even companies that have good reputations don't necessarily have a brand that will make a person do business with them because of the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And so building that with intention can add to the transferability or ultimate sale value or transition value or you know employee sale value or liquidation value of a business. Can't tell you how many businesses have funded owners making half a million dollars a year and 80% of their revenue comes from their top one or two clients. They Mm -hmm. have some massive contract, right? You lose that contract, you don't have a business. Right. So how long the contracts are, the quality of the contracts, the diversity of the lines of revenue coming in, right? You know, reducing customer concentration, all those things go into really the customer um, capital of a company that can either significantly increase or decrease its value and transferability. And then the last thing is your human capital. It's the quality of your people and it's how confident I can be that those people are going to stay if you leave. That's when you start talking about things like golden handcuff compensation, like things that you need to stay to get vested in, um, really generous bonus or equity structures, et cetera, et cetera. Stuff that if there are people that you rely on, that's when you talk about insurance, right? To protect the business from a loss of a key person. All those things, if you're looking to transition the business to another person, whether it's third-party sale or some other way, as a buyer or the guy that's going to come in and run the business, I'm looking at all that stuff. Because your operations manager, who everything really runs through, if that person leaves because they were loyal to you or maybe they're a little older and you got off the train, they think they're going to get off the train too, I could have a big problem on my hands. Right. I might not yeah. even be profitable. i got to replace that person. I can't, I can't train to that person's experience in two weeks, right? So those four things are the main things other than profit that are going to drive the transferability and the value of a business. So when we're looking to maximize the strength of a business in those four, the four C's of capital, Mm -hmm. not only are we maximizing the value of the business from a transition standpoint, but we're also maximizing the profitability of the business. We're maximizing the scalability of the business. We're reducing owner dependency so that the owner can diversify their streams of income if they want to. They can work less, right? There's more room to develop leadership because it's less dependent on the owner, right? We're just opening Mm -hmm. the whole thing up. We're opening Mm -hmm. the whole thing up for an owner to have control over their life and to be really able to pursue their purpose, which is really the ultimate goal of this stuff, right? We are at Sooner Business Advisors and Triangle Financial Group very owner-centric. There's no shortage of consultants that can come in and work on your business and say, hey, I can make you more profitable. I can help you train a sales team. I can do this. I can do whatever. We start with understanding who the owner is at the deepest level. 
psychologically, emotionally, behaviorally, what their value systems are. Um, not just them, but them and their family. Because that's what gives us the intel and how we're going to orient the tools in all these other areas to accomplish that owner's vision. Or even help them crystallize a vision that maybe is there, but they haven't really articulated yet. Or maybe something that needs development because they've just been so in the weeds they haven't had the chance to develop one and express it yet. Right. right? So once, we're, once we've got that, then we know how to go help an owner work on their business. We get to the business through the owner. We don't get to the owner through the business, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. That's very important. That's a big differentiator of what we do that we really believe in, and that's never going to change in who we are, because it's necessary. Mm-hmm. It's necessary. Mm-hmm. It's what owners need. Yeah. Good. Lizzie, should we take a break, and we'll be right back yeah. once we hear from our sponsor. Sounds good. Ready for a new ride? Get the right financing for your new car or truck with an auto loan from Triangle Credit Union. We offer some great rates for vehicles of all types and model years. With terms up to 84 months on newer vehicles for both purchase and refinance, you can get a great car with a great monthly payment. Visit our website and try the AutoSmart online search tool for an easy, hassle-free shopping experience. Search our local certified dealers for the right car at the right price, right from the comfort of your couch. Don't wait. Finance your new car or truck today with a Triangle Auto Loan and get ready to roll. And we're back. <laughs> I was like, throw everybody off with that one. <laughs> so soon. I know, right? No kidding. How much did the sponsor pay for that? Uh, one second. second. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> they have to talk very fast around here. Um, so... You said something um, just before the break, Eric, and it really resonated with me. And that was, um, you know, when you meet with the owner, you can look through the weeds. I, I think I don't know exactly how you um, you termed that. But in essence, it was, um, you know, they're in the thick of it every day. Right. And so how cool is it that you can come along and um, see things from a different perspective? You know, I, I think I really want to kind of go back to that and ask you a little bit more just in terms of like how you do that. And again, are they open to having those conversations with you? Yeah. So so that's a good question. Sometimes they're open and sometimes they're not. Mm-hmm. But what I've realized as an advisor, my job is to maximize their opportunity to be aware, but I can't make somebody ready if they're not ready. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah. I need to be there, I need to develop relationships, I need to be supportive, but if they don't have the desire to disengage temporarily to try to see the bigger picture, I can't make them do that, right? So a big part of the education that we do and the reason why we come on podcasts like this and talk about it is because I want the owner to come to that point because they own the need to do that not because I came in and tried to convince them that they needed to look at the bigger picture. Because mm-hmm. it's not effective that way. Because it's not them, yeah. it's me. They need to own it. So are, are owners receptive to it? It just you know it depends on you got to hit them at the right time. Right? Yeah. And you have to be consistent in follow-up and in relationship building in order to create the opportunity for that to happen. Once that happens, they're incredibly open. Um, and it really goes to the value of having advisors in general. There are very few advisors in this world in any capacity where you can't learn what they know. Mm-hmm. You can learn everything your doctor knows on WebMD. You mm-hmm. can learn everything I know about financial projects and strategies in business from looking on Google, right? Are you going to spend the time to do that? I don't know, but you can learn everything that you can learn all the knowledge I've built over 11 years. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's smart enough to do that. Mm-hmm. What advice does is it allows expertise that is unemotional about your situation and therefore it can bring an objective perspective and also a wider perspective into the equation that brings accountability that brings perspective that brings difference in strategy that brings a different level of understanding that brings healthy confrontation that challenges your Mm. presuppositions because nobody you know it's kind of interesting owners are very rarely challenged because they own the enterprise right and some of them crave being challenged i mean that sounds kind of weird but some of them crave their perspectives to be challenged 
Um, they would never say that. They might not even necessarily know it. And you don't do it in a confrontational way. It's in a nurturing way. But sometimes the way that an owner is thinking about something is not congruent with the reality of the situation. And so there's an education process to teach them and reroute, not to beat them over the head or not to tell them that I'm smarter than them, because that's never it, right. but to lead them along the journey where they can see the bigger perspective, have the aha moment, and now they own it too. Now we're rowing in the same direction, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So most often owners are open to a discussion but it takes some time to flip from the all right another business guy what do you got for me Mm -hmm. to okay now i'm actively listening and metabolizing what you're saying and maybe there's something to work on here Mm -hmm. and that's just that's just relationship building right and that's not unique to owners i think that's really anybody that's in the business of advice whether you're a doctor or whether you're a business consultant financial advisor um whatever it is that's that's kind of the the nature of the beast right yeah they kind of have to own it at some point and they have to see it for themselves and then they're open to the suggestions i can't be the hero of their story Mm -hmm. if i'm the hero of their story it's not their story they're ever going to follow through Mm -hmm. they have to be the hero of their story for any of our work to be meaningful and therefore they have to co-own the perspectives and they have to co-own the outcomes you know I, my job is just to facilitate that, create that, raise awareness, and bring them along their journey to be the best they can be. Um, you know, if I'm working with an owner for a few years and I got hit by a bus tomorrow, they should be able to take all that they've learned and continue down that path without me. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that they won't want to keep me if I'm there, because hopefully there's some camaraderie, there's some accountability, right? And, may, and it's helpful to them in some way. But, you know, the idea behind advice, you can't gate advice behind a paywall. You can't gate advice behind, right? It has to be abundance mentality. You have to be in it bona fide for the owner, you're orienting to their situation. People will smell that, and they are right. open to it if they understand that. Right. If you're the consultant that says, hey, I have this codified process that it's easy as one, two, three, come to my conference, you'll sell more stuff than you ever have before, that consultant is the hero. They want to be the hero of your story. Or, mm-hmm. and maybe they don't, but maybe that's the way they were taught to market it. Mm-hmm. So as an owner, you're already coming in there with your dukes up. Right. Even if you go, you're trying to find where's the rat where, where's the thing, right? Like you're, and, and it almost goes to your pride a little bit. Like I feel like I do a pretty good job. I built a good business, and you think you're going to come in and revamp my entire sales process or give me whatever magic pill in a conference in a rah rah speech, so that I'm going to go back and all of a sudden be better for it? It's a very different approach to have a relationship-based coaching relationship, where the owner comes to their own realizations, owns it. And they run with it, and I just facilitate it. Right. Yeah. That's what we want. I heard a, a quote somewhere. I don't remember where I heard it, but it was kind of in line with business advising and even marketing. But they said, we're not the heroes. We're the hero makers. Mm. And that's kind of what I'm sensing from this is you're not you're you want the business owner to be the hero, but you're going to be that hero. mate. You're going to help them be the hero that they are. Right. right. That's why this work is important. That's why this work is important because it allows it allows people to reach efficacy in their life. Mm. Um, yeah. So they yeah they absolutely have to be the hero of their own story in their own mind, and that doesn't mean they're not appreciative of our work or that we didn't have a role in that story. But it can't be about our expertise. It can't be about our intellectual capital or our or our proprietary methods or whatever. If it's going to be meaningful, it has to be. I mean, this is their life. Yeah. This is their life. This is mm-hmm. what they built. This is the legacy of themselves. This is the future for their kids. This is way bigger than whatever thing they happen to be selling or whether whatever service their business offers. This is their life. This is mo- almost every owner I talk to is obsessed with providing for their employees. There are very few, I mean, employees might not feel this way, but there are very few bad bosses out there that don't care about their employees. We take that responsibility incredibly seriously. Owners take pride in the fact that they provide a living for people that help them achieve their dreams. They want to pay that forward. Yeah. So when you start talking about this stuff, you're messing with a lot of stuff that's way, way, way bigger than profit margins or or whatnot. You're dealing with Mm -hmm. people's lives. You're dealing with their purpose. You're dealing with their deepest passions and fears. And so understanding that changes the approach to the entire process. And it's why it's why we work with owners in the way that we do. It's why um, we make sure that we do the personal financial planning. It's why we follow the Exit Planning Institute's value acceleration methodology in the way that we work with owners. It goes straight to how we structure our services and pricing. 
it's all around giving the owner the freedom and the latitude to experience that journey way where they can maximize that personal value. And, you know, giving them the freedom to make decisions along the way. People don't like to be locked into stuff. Mm-hmm. They won't follow through if they feel yeah. like locked into stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So if you say, hey, I'm going to give you the value, just pay me a bajillion dollars and you'll see it eventually. Nobody's going to go for that. Right. There needs to be immediate value that isn't behind a paywall so they know you care. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I forgot how I got talking. <laughs> I, mean, I don't even remember what the question was. I just <laughs> I, wait a minute. I think you answered it. <laughs> um, okay, Eric, follow up. Um, so... It sounds to me like you work with individual business owners. What about families? Now you're, you know, I want to, I want to know the the down and dirty about how are you dealing with multiple, like one business but multiple owners. Go. Who that? I mean, it's the same principles apply, but the application of that is very different. That process will be much longer to reach a a blueprint, if you will, of how we move forward and really defining the definition of a win. Mm -hmm. Um, When you're dealing with multiple partners and multiple owners, there are so many things to consider, Um, even family resolution. You know, there's people, there's associates that I have, not within my business, but people that I work with, where their entire business is family conflict resolution within family-owned businesses. Wow. Or within business partnerships, because that's a very tricky thing. I'll give you an example, right? You have a 55-year-old owner that started a company, brought on a partner. They're 50-50 now. The partner's 35. The founder's 55. The founder's looking at retirement. The founder's already put their kids through college. The other partner has young kids. He's looking to grow the business. He's working to work more. The other dude's working to work less. Older guy would love to just walk away with a check and live the rest of his life. Um, younger guy doesn't want to take the capital out of the business to pay said check and not be able to reinvest the capital into the business to grow where he wants to go. Kids of 55-year-old guys see the business as their inheritance. 35-year-old guy doesn't really know if he wants to be partner with 55-year-old guy's kids because he likes 55-year-old guy. He doesn't really know anything about his kids. Or maybe he doesn't even like his kids, right? There's a lot of complicated dynamics there right. when you have to decide how to move forward as an organization, where you're going to invest money, how you're going to hire and expand, how we're going to create retirement plans. So um, how we do it, right, we work with both owners individually and we work with them collectively mm-hmm. because there has to be the freedom to understand them individually and not necessarily give confidential feedback to the other, but we definitely just can't work with both of them collectively without understanding all the dynamics of where they're coming from. That's what allows us to do the conflict resolution. And even in the greatest partnerships, there are always conflicts. It doesn't have to be a bad partnership in order for there to be conflicts, Mm -hmm. because it is virtually impossible for two people with unique lives to have the exact same goals, dreams, and aspirations, especially when they're at different parts in life. Right. Um, Even if you don't have multiple partners, if you've got a family business and you've got you know say kids working in the business or mom and dad's working in the business you got the sacred cows right like family's never going to get fired really usually maybe they're doing their job maybe they're not you might have other employees that have really given their heart and soul to the business in a really long time employees but the loyalty isn't there maybe there's some frustration because there's certain levels of leadership that they can't get to because it's all taken up by the nepotism of said family that the owner might be entirely unaware of i mean i've seen Mm -hmm. I've seen operations managers 20 years in just quit Mm -hmm. because it was their belief there was no more upward mobility. They see that the guy they loved working for is getting older. They kind of hate his son who runs the Mm -hmm. thing and kind of feels entitled. And then there's some daughter that moved out across the country, but she's thinking about moving back and taking her half. They've never even worked with her before. They're like, this is going to be a tire fire. Mm -hmm. I'm out. Mm -hmm. That the owner never had the chance to have that discussion with that employee because they were kind of protecting their job. Right. When you have somebody like Sooner Business Advisors in place, there's that outlet where that information can filter through, confidentiality can be kept, but the conflict resolution can occur. Mm-hmm. So it's very tricky when you've got multiple owners, if you've got families. We have a list of certified family business specialists that we work with, conflict resolu- uh, resolution consultants that we work with, because um, there's some things that we can handle in-house, but sometimes, you know, where it really gets you know complicated when you have like three, four, five partners. You have majority partners. You have minority partners. You have stakeholders. You have employee yeah. stocks. You have people that aren't really owners, but people that kind of have equity in the. 
things get really complicated there. Yeah. Um, wow. But, you know, most of the businesses we're working with aren't that complicated. complicated yeah. You know, most of them are, hey, you know, this is a welding company that started. It was a single man operation. He's built something that's profitable. He has maybe seven or eight employees, you know, and, you know, those are most of the businesses that we see here in New Hampshire. It's a lot of blue collar work. And, yeah. you know, I, I love those businesses right. because we want those businesses staying in the family. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I love the, that you have people who are dedicated to facilitating the conflict resolution. I didn't even know that. I mean, that makes a ton of sense because, you know, if you have somebody who's mediating that process, then it takes a lot of the emotion out of it right away, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, so that's awesome. I'd say it's another, it's cool to think too, like another reason to do this in advance and get this done sooner than later, especially if you have multiple parties involved, because it's like, you don't want to wait till, till a crisis occurs. You don't want to wait till that guy who's been there for, you know, 45 years just decides one day I'm out, you know, you want to get that out of the way. You want to have these conversations prior if possible. So that way, when those days do come or I mean, ideally, they won't come like that because the plan's in place. Right. But I have two partners in Sooner Business Advisors, and one of them, his name is Tim Ledger. Um, and he ran a family business for 23 years that his dad started in 1954. And he went through a lot of the things that we're talking about, mm. right? And, you know, maybe sometime you guys can meet him and he can share more of his story. But all the things that you might see in a family business that's passed on to multiple children when dad started it, dad's still kind of involved, even though son is running it now, there's other siblings involved, right? And he had to navigate that for 23 years and did a great job of it. Um, but, you know, there were successes and there were failures, which really brings a lot of that expertise to our team here that we can bring to the Triangle mm-hmm. Credit Union membership. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know we have somebody sitting in the seat who's actually firsthand experienced that mm-hmm. um but so little plug for tim he's he's a great guy and he carries a lot of expertise but even outside of tim there are are those conflict resolution specialists and uh, and when we talk about business and exit and transition planning that can have a huge impact uh story from my career um there was actually a business i was looking at buying another practice i was looking at buying for a couple of years and um, it didn't end up working out. Absolutely love the guy. Uh, one of the best humans I've ever met. But part of the evaluation for me as a buyer was um, he put his heart and soul into this business and he has two kids and one of them is 20 years old and may have interest in being in the business. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to make sure that half the business was preserved for that child. And I wasn't necessarily close to the idea, but as a buyer, you know, I've, I've known him for years and I was okay with being in business with him for a time and, you know, transferring equity over a period of time, whatever. And I have absolutely nothing. Great kid. Um, but I don't even know if this kid wants to be in this business. Right. This kid's 20. Mm-hmm. This kid's in college. Love the kid. Don't know if I want to be his business partner. I have no idea. I have nothing to indicate he wouldn't be a good business partner, but I don't know. Right. And I can't find out until I'm 10 years in. And I don't have a choice but to be his business partner, right? right? Like, yeah. when those things, when there aren't mechanisms in place, you know, there can be financial products and strategies that can lubricate maybe some of the off-ramps to maximize flexibility. But when these things aren't talked about or they're assumed, right? I mean, I was a potential exit and transition planner for that guy who's reaching the end of his career. And one of the reasons that that didn't end up working out is that planning hadn't been done. I just didn't know, mm-hmm. right? It's like, okay, I can't, I can't go in and buy this thing if I don't know. Right. Um, when there's no buy-sell agreement that's funded or cross-purchase agreement that's funded by insurance in a business and you have one partner selling out, well, the new guy might want to be partners with the guy that's currently there, but what if the guy that's currently there, something happens to him and he dies? New guy might not want to be partners with his wife or if it's a woman that owns it, new guy might not want to be partners with her husband. Mm-hmm. And that's what he would be, mm-hmm. right? Unless there's some sort of contingency planning in place. So a lot of these things that drive just good business strategy really impact how transferable a business is and really what your strength of exit is. Because as a buyer, I'm going to be looking at all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because whatever problem you haven't taken care of becomes my problem once it's my business. Yeah. Right? Yeah, definitely. Very important to go in with your eyes wide open. For sure. Yeah. 
Totally. So this uh, this is great. I mean, I love the the talk of the business planning and the corporate, all of that. But I just I'm thinking some of these principles almost feel like they can apply to people's personal lives as well. In some instances, do you find that, Eric? In you know some of the people you're working with, it's not always just business. (laughs) You catch on quick. The the business planning is just an extension of the principles of good planning into business. It's Mm -hmm. not different, right? When we do retirement planning for an individual, we start with the end in mind, right? We don't know if they're going to retire at 65, but what are we trying to do? We're trying to create maximum flexibility so they can reach financial independence at the earliest possible stage because there's a recognition that we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring and I don't know what you're going to want to do in 20 years. So let's make sure you're in a position of strength so that you can make those decisions from an area of intention instead of coercion, right? Yeah. It's it's the same stuff. So mm-hmm. even if you're not a business owner, a lot of these contingency plans, um, you know, the principles of exit planning and value maximization, those are just translating the principles of good planning into a different environment. It's all the same stuff. Same stuff. Mm-hmm. So what kinds of questions should people ask themselves? Like if they're this is a new concept to them and maybe they haven't thought about this in, in their business or their personal life, what are some questions that can kind of get things running in their heads about setting up some kind of plan? What is the significance of your business is a great question. That's that's not to say, how am I going to become profitable or how much money am I going to make or how good is the product or how happy are our customers with our service? It is what significant purpose do I even have in doing this? You can do a thousand things to make money. Right. I don't mean to be flippant right. about it, but you know, if people's only goal is to make the most money they can, you don't have to be a business owner. You can be a business owner. You can be in a ton of businesses. You can go to school and become a lawyer. You can do whatever, right? Making money is kind of a prerequisite. Everybody wants to do that. Why am I doing it this way? What is driving me? What purpose or efficacy or satisfaction do I get as a human being? What value am I adding to the world? Mm-hmm. That gives you a good referendum on what your value systems are and what drives you that can be applied to developing an identity beyond the business, can be applied to what exit and transition options that you prefer, how long you want to own your business, right? how this fits into your family legacy. So a question of significance and purpose, why am I doing this, is really the basic question that we start with that you can ask yourself that kind of flows into all the other stuff, right? It's not too dissimilar from uh, personal planning too, because really business planning and personal planning are kind of intertwined. It just happens to be, you know, the person owns a business, right? Uh, But even if you're not a business owner, um, when you're saving and investing money and you're trying to build for retirement, everybody has multiple interacting value systems that create a framework by which they translate value from money right? Retiring with $5 million is not meaningful. That might mean to you financial independence. It might mean having an inheritance for your kids. It might mean some sort of philanthropic thing. It might mean that you made your parents proud because you seek their approval. It might be like, I don't know what it means for you, right? But whatever thing you're going for, the reason you're saving and investing and taking risk and you know not blowing all your money today, there's some sort of reason you're doing that. And usually it's not just one reason, right? There's usually multiple layers of interacting value systems and reasons and the experiences you've gone through that shape who you are as a person. But the first question I would ask myself if I'm a business owner and I'm thinking about the future of my business and my personal finances is what significance am I pursuing? Who am I trying to be in the world? Mm-hmm. Because then we can translate all the other stuff, right? Then we can orient to that. And if that changes, we can change the orientation to it, right? Yeah. Um, but none of the rest of the stuff matters unless we at least are on the journey to answering that question, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that does. It makes me think of, um, you said you, like the why, the question of why, it makes me think of Simon Sinek, start with why. I don't know if you've ever yes. heard of his. Yeah, I mean, he talks about that guy. The, the why being the biggest question in that you should ask yourself. Why am I working at this job or why am I starting this business or why am I pursuing this this goal you know so great book if anyone listening hasn't read it yet yes i can vouch for that it is a great book and he's a great speaker um i actually heard him talking about his why once and um and knowing his role and one thing that he said that was interesting to me he said like i have a gift to break down um complex ideas into their component parts and really inspire people through the use of language 
but he said, I'm terrible at running a business. I couldn't do that. Hmm. I know hmm. a lot about, I, I can communicate the ideas to a business owner, like, but that's my role. He's like, I'd be a terrible CEO. I can't, I can't do that part. Um, so I don't try to do that part. Mm-hmm. Right. So, but he's gone through, so he, 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 he loves business and wants to have an impact on it. This is the way he does that, but he knows who he is and who he isn't and what his strengths are and what they're not. And he's staying in his lane. And, you know, that's a great example of even practicing what he preaches, right? Like right. when a business owner understands, okay, this is the significance that I'm trying to have, and this is what it personally means to me, and these are my skill sets that I can apply towards that. Well, you could do that as a business owner. You could probably do that in a, as a business owner in a different industry. You could probably do that as a non-business owner, right? That's what allows us to create or start with the identity outside of the business, or start on that mm-hmm. on that journey. Mm-hmm. And it really is a journey. It's not like we sit down for three meetings and it's like, all right, by the end of these three meetings, we're going to have an identity outside of the business, right? <laughs> this is something that just happens organically as a result of doing it right. Um, and, you know, some people aren't ready. They might be financially ready, but they're not circumstantially ready because they haven't quite got it yet, right? right? And so maybe they hang on a little longer, whatever the case is. 72% of owners regret leaving their business within a year after leaving it. Hmm. Hmm. And almost zero of it has to do with how much they got paid from leaving the business. Hmm. Most business owners at least think about or inquire about buying their business back that they sold within four years of selling it. Wow. <laughs> how about that? Uh, oops. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> wait, wait! I got twenty million that I was paid, but I'm willing to pay to pay you forty million. Pay it back, back just to have the thing back, right? Because they felt like they were adding value to the world, and yeah. now they feel like a part of their soul has died. Yeah. Um, hmm. and that's it's it sucks to see. There's only so much yeah. golf you can play, right? Before it's like, man, you know, oh, I'm gonna retire, and I'm gonna spend all this time with my kids well your kids are 13 maybe they don't want to spend 24 7 with you what happens or your spouse or your spouse (laughs) what happens when your spouse has their friends or there's that thing that your spouse did that's right you know when you were at work that was kind of their alone time and now you're just always there around now right maybe they don't like that so much um so yeah there's a lot of reality checks so you know simulating that before you leave or you exit but again this is i don't want people listening to this think that they need to have some 10 million dollar a year business or be looking to sell their business or retire for this to be applicable right i mean i've had discussions with single business owners with two employees that are in their early 30s that you know are you know doing plumbing right Mm -hmm. like this stuff still applies um in terms of growing a business that has maximum transferable value, where you limit owner dependency, you're strong in the four C's of capital, the timing and method of your exit are irrelevant because you've done it right, you develop an identity outside of the business, you're a better uh, mom, dad, husband, wife, uh, father, mother, etc., friend, uh, mm. relationship builder, philanthropist, all you're better at all those things when you have an identity outside of the enterprise and when it's not entirely dependent on you. Right. Mm. Right. So it, it's it's really applicable to anybody that owns a business mm. listening to this and and um and yeah, that's that's why we have Triangle Financial Group because we like to talk to people about those types of things. Mm. So Eric, tell us a little bit about how they can get in touch with you specifically about business exit strategies and you know this process. Yeah, absolutely. The Triangle Financial Group website is trianglefinancialgroup.com and our um, contact info is listed on there. There's uh, three advisors on the team, myself, Brian Luce, and Jeffrey Mayer. Um, so you can feel free to reach out to um, any advisor that may fit your needs. I'm the business planner guy um, for the firm. That's a passion of mine. And it's kind of, you know, it's it's the, it's the space I play in. So my information is there. Very cool. Excellent. Well, I are we ready to do we uh, are. rapid fire? We are ready okay. to move into rapid fire. Woohoo! Okay, hold on. I have to I have to get my notes out. I don't even know what that is, but I'm ready for it. <laughs> well, so I'll explain it then really quickly. So what we're going to do is we're going to ask you 10 this or that questions, and you just answer them as quick as possible. Oh, I like that. So, yeah, you don't have to explain anything. It, sometimes it's fun when guests explain, but you don't have to. So. I'm a decisive kind of guy. I'll be pretty fast. <laughs> Okay, and I actually, I think I don't, I don't have actual 10. I, I might have like eight or something like that, but it's okay. All right, here we go. You ready? I'm ready. Okay. Tampa or Toronto? Tampa. Biking or baking? 
biking. Rap or rock and roll? Oh, uh, uh, rap. <laughs> Ice tea or lemonade? Lemonade. Golf or hiking? Oof. Uh, golf. Jeep or Jaguar? Jaguar. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I even asked that question. <laughs> that was a given. State school or private university? If I have to pick, state school. Okay. Eggs or pancakes? Eggs. I'm on the carnivore-based diet. I don't eat pancakes. <laughs> <laughs> tennis shoes or Tevas? I don't know what Tevas are, so I'm going to go oh. tennis shoes. <laughs> <laughs> that will tell you how old Eric is right there, okay? All right. There's right a there. hint. Yeah, yeah, Oops. Exactly. <laughs> I think they're making a comeback, though. One of you, somebody said that the other day. All right. Last one. Tom Brady or Mac Jones? Tommy. Oh! I love them both. I can't abandon the greatest of all time. What a life he gave me here for 20 years. Love you, Mac. Love you. I saw, I, I, I was at Pat's training camp the other day. Oh, so I got oh, to see nice. Mac up close and got to see him throw. And I watched him a lot at Alabama. And um, we actually have some people in our firm that went to school with him. And he's a, absolutely, I mean, he's 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 a great heir to the throne. Authentic. He's, an, he's a great guy. He, he really is. Like, nothing against Mac Jones. And I think he's going to be great. Um, but Tom Brady is, is the best to ever do it. And yeah. I don't think that, that'll change. I, I won't say that's never going to change because people said that about Michael Jordan. And then there's LeBron. I'm still a Jordan guy. But, you know, I guess LeBron has an argument. People said that about Montana. You know, so everybody says, oh, there will never be another, you know. And then at some point there ends up Someone being another. Comes be, along. Yeah. But I can't ever imagine anybody reaching the level of Tom Brady in, I, in my mind. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. Miss you, Tommy. Hey, if you're listening to this, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Come back to New England, please. <laughs> Oh, we have so many jerseys at our house that have Brady number twelve. I'm like, what are we gonna do with now all? They're of outdated. These? I know. When they played the when the Pats played the Bucks last year, I had some people over and I had like on the fireplace mantle like a Brady Bucks jersey and Pats jersey, <laughs> both hung up. I was like, I can't, I can't. Don't make me pick. I'm just gonna watch and. Either way, it turns out I'll be both crushed and happy. <laughs> okay, so who's going to go to the Super Bowl and win it this year? The Bills. Really? They're the best team in football. Okay. It's not even close. Hmm. Okay. They just uh-huh. signed Vaughn Miller. Josh Allen's an animal. And Josh, Josh I have a picture of Josh. So I know as a Pats fan, I'm not. First of all, we beat them up for like 22 years. Yeah. So it's hard to hate the Bills. Yeah. Secondly, Josh Allen, I have a picture of him in high school as a senior wearing a Tom Brady jersey. <gasps> Brady wow. was Brady was his favorite player in oh. high school. So I can't hate Josh. I know he plays right. for the Bills, but right. he was a Brady guy. I love everybody up there. I mean, it's it's. And, and I like the fan base. The fan base, I mean, is passionate. Yes. They showed up for 20 years with that team getting manhandled. <laughs> my, know, they, and they, they deserve my, like it. Like sub, sub below zero weather every yeah. every game, it's even a, in September. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, there, like, you know, minus 12 and they're out there shivering. And they're out there selling the stadium out. So, you know, yeah. the Bills, the Bills, they deserve it. I think they're going to, I think they're, they're the best team in football. Honestly, I have to tell you a little bit of... Um, so I started fantasy football um, playing multiple leagues about two years ago, two or three years ago. And Josh Allen has been my go-to guy ever, like for every time, every time. And um, he's never let me down. He's a good guy. There's something about being six foot six and 255 pounds and yeah. being able to run like a wide receiver yes. and throw at 80 yards. This exactly. gives you an advantage. He's <laughs> always a threat. A he's always a threat. He can beat you so many ways. And, and I, I appreciate, like, I, you know, business owners are grinders. And Josh Allen's talented, but he's also a grinder. Mm-hmm. He got he got hit in the mouth when he when he got into this league. He was really bad for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't accurate. Um, he wasn't processing defenses, and you know he wasn't really supported by a great roster. So you know I was out on Josh Allen. I was like chalk it up to another bust. I was like mm-hmm. the Bills, the Jets, you know the Dolphins. Like they can't draft quarterbacks. You know the Patriots are going to be king king of the castle forever. Um, and he really battled back and he fought through. And I mean, most most quarterbacks when they're bad for two three years out of the gate, they don't they don't get better. Yeah, they get demoralized. They don't get better. The you know the coaches get fired, um, systems change, and they just never kind of get it. And and he's a grinder. Mm-hmm. And he put in the work. He's a leader. And who he is today is a testament to his perseverance through that. 
I like those kind of people. Yeah. I try to be that type of person myself. I like business owners because those are those types of people. So, you know, the Josh Allens and, you know, obviously Brady. Um, yeah. Mac Jones is another one of those guys. Mac Jones beat Trevor Lawrence in a skills competition when he was 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Mac didn't even get invited to the expo. And he basically just DM'd the guy that ran it. I think Rivals ran it on Instagram, like incessantly until he made the guy respond to him. Showed up as a non-invitee. Trevor Lawrence was there, a bunch of the, you know, best quarterbacks in the country for high school at that time. And Mac won the skills competition. Wow. We have another grinder here in New England. Yeah. In my opinion, Mac Jones definitely did better than Trevor Lawrence last year. Oh, thousand percent. I mean, Trevor didn't have much to work with, to right. be fair. But True. but Mac, you know, football is about the fit. Like talent only goes mm-hmm. so far in football. It's fit. It's work mm-hmm. ethic. And Trevor has those things, right? So, yeah. you know, he'll be fine. But but I I was really impressed with what I saw yeah. from Mac Jones last year. Good. Let's go Patriots. That's right. All right. <laughs> Back to you, Lizzie. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> nice little sports tangent over there. There you go. <laughs> well. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. I think that there's there was a lot of information here that I think our listeners are really going to find helpful. So thank you again for you agreeing me. to be on again for our third third time around. And before we close, I do just want to remind any listeners that um, Eric is in some of the other other episodes. So check those out. And um, I'm sure there's tons of other tidbits in there that you're going to find helpful. So. And he's got the coolest blue ga- blue glasses on today with the matching Right, shirt. and the light just like shines, oh, little, little. <laughs> shines through the frames. Be radically original. <laughs> That's what I like to say. Thank you, guys. Really thank, appreciate you being here. You, Looking Eric. forward to being back. Thank That's you, great. Eric. Thanks. Take care. That wraps up this episode of the Making Money Personal Podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, we would love to hear from you. Email your thoughts about this show or any other ideas at tcupodcast at trianglecu.org. Thank you to all of our subscribers. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss out on any new episodes or money tips. Thank you for listening and have a great day.